0: Welcome to the podcast, Bringing Truth to Life, where we talk about what the scriptures say that can help you get unstuck from the thorny issues of life and encourage you to live the life you've been wanting to live with Christ. Our speaker today is Henry Clay, and we're in a series called, A Man After God's Own Heart, on the life of King David from the Old Testament. God called him a man after his own heart but we see that he was far from perfect. What was it about this man that God liked so much? This series looks at David's environment, his experiences, and his responses to try to discover how we can live a life that brings delight to God's heart.
1: Well, it's delightful to be with you again. We're continuing in our series of A Man After God's Own Heart. We're in the fourth week. Uh, The title today is Sharpened in Secret, and we're talking about that famous story in 1 Samuel 17 of David fighting Goliath, and we want to uh, uh, have as our topic today, the importance of preparation. As you look at the story of David fighting Goliath, it may seem over the years that we've given this story more importance than it warrants. Uh, You've been hearing it all your life, if you uh, went to Sunday school, and I think even in secular... News. I mean, everybody's heard about David and Goliath. But this is the longest narrative of any of David's battles, so it's obvious that it's significant to God as well. You know, in Bible times, they, as far as writing Scripture, Old and New Testament, there wasn't anything such thing as underlining and highlighting and bolding, bold letters. And the only way really to emphasize something was to repeat it so you'll find a lot of the proverbs, it'll say something one way and then repeat it again with different words. You'll find several stories of the of the accounts of miracles that Jesus did several times. There's the story in the Old Testament of the siege of Jerusalem that went on from there with uh, Nebuchadnezzar attacking when Hezekiah was king and that story is recounted three times in the Old Testament at great length. And then of course there are the four gospels. So The fact that uh, so much space in the Holy Scriptures dedicated to this story about David means that God wanted it to have a a large place in our our mind and in our thinking, and as I thought about what to talk about today uh, related to this passage that everybody's heard about so much, uh, I was originally going to take it in a tact of uh, facing your Goliaths, you know, and how to have courage in, in terms of big battles in your life, but... As I got to thinking about it, I thought, well, you know, this really isn't a battle that David had to fight. This was something that he'd just come to bring lunch. No one was expecting him to do anything about Goliath. He just gets there and happens to hear that there's a situation. And he offers himself. There's a fair amount of resistance to him even accepting the job and reluctance, but he ends up getting the job. But this is the kind of thing where. It wasn't something that he, that was an unavoidable thing. Uh, there, there are times when uh, you may have something big in your life and whether it's you, you, you get cancer or, or um, you lose uh, a loved one or you have a big financial crisis. Well, that's something that just comes over you and you don't get to have the luxury of saying, well, let's see, do I want to go through this or not? But uh, David's case here was uh, he got involved when he didn't necessarily have to. But I think really uh, a greater lesson that we get out of First Samuel 17 is the importance of uh, preparation. I want us to take a look a little bit more right now just at the passage itself. And uh, let's turn to First Samuel 17. And particularly I want to focus on the conversation between King Saul and David when David offers to fight Goliath. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with you. Well, that was a great vote of confidence, wasn't it? He, he says, For you are but a youth, while he's been a warrior from his youth. Verse 34, But David said to Saul, Your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came, and he took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him, and rescued it from his mouth. When he arose again uh, up against me, uh, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, All right, go, go for it. May the Lord be with you. You know, you think, well, what does this teach us? What's he saying here? I think it teaches us that your private battles greatly impact your public life. It shows us the importance of that part of your life that no one really sees. No one, maybe, I mean, maybe your close family have an idea about it, but frankly, most people don't know how you're doing. They don't know whether you're reading your Bible. They don't know... If and how much you pray, they don't know how you're doing in your struggles with whether it be eating or pornography or whatever things might be difficult for you or your worrying, your fears, and you realize it. You come in here and, and everybody smiles and greets and you realize they have no idea what I am, what I'm going through, who I am, and there's just a part of our lives, a large part of our lives that's pretty secret, and I'm not saying... That's good or bad, it's just the way it always has been and it always will be. Frankly, nobody wants to know everything about your life, good or bad. You realize that when you just try to give people, talk to people just five minutes uh, sharing about your life and they're already bored. So. But nevertheless, what happens in your secret life, in that private part of your life is really what's going to make it or break it for you as you later in life face greater challenges. The key to winning great battles is to fight well in the smaller ones. And you know, we have a terrible battle with sin. We are really evil. I was listening to a message the other day, and he said, Now, some of you may have grown up in a household where they really wanted to help your self-esteem, and so they said, Well, you're a snowflake. You're one of a kind. You're wonderful. And the world is a better place because you're in it, etc., etc. And the preacher said, No, the fact is you are evil. I am evil. We're sinners. We have a self-destructive nature. It's not as though we're as bad as we could be in the sense of we, it's not as though we've committed every crime, but we could. We're selfish. We're proud. We're addicted to our own comfort and pleasure. And we need help. We need to grow. We need to change. We need to be transformed into the image of Christ and One of the words that the Bible uses for that process of transformation that God wants to do in our lives is the word sharpening. And so we want to take a special look at that today in terms of how the way God works in us and the importance of His influence and His development in our lives. How does He do that? Why does He do that? And as we see it illustrated here in the life of David where he didn't just walk into this battle with uh, Goliath. Uh, having no previous experience in fighting battles. He'd had some battles. They weren't with people. They were with animals, the lion and the bear. But nevertheless, on a smaller scale, he'd already fought Goliath in a sense. You know, that lion that bear at the time looked pretty formidable, just like Goliath did later on. And yet David had trusted God, gone and done what he knew he needed to do, took the risk, and saw God work on his behalf, and won the victory, and grew in his faith, grew in his confidence, and that set him up to be able to respond the right way when the issue came up with Goliath. So let's think about now a little bit about how God works in our lives to sharpen us. The first point is the purpose of sharpening. First, why does God want to sharpen us, and why should we want it? Ecclesiastes 10.10, 10, If the axe is dull and he does not sharpen its edge, he must exert more strength. Wisdom has the advantage of giving success. To me, this brings to mind the image of a guy, of a contest of people, lumberjacks, chopping down trees. You've got two guys, they each have an axe. The axe is dull. They have what they need to sharpen it with. You've got lots of trees. They've got eight hours to see how many trees they can chop down. And the first guy just grabs the axe. He says, you know, I've only got eight hours. I'm strong. And he just starts beating on a tree with this really dull axe. And the other guy sits down and for six of the eight hours is there sharpening, sharpening the axe, and just sitting there. After six hours, the other guy has beaten down one tree, and now he's beating on another one, and in the next two hours, the the second guy who sharpened the axe chops down ten trees, and this guy never even got down two trees. The importance of sharpening, that it's not just brute strength, it's that you learn wisdom, and wisdom can make all the difference, in your marriage, in your parenting, just working according to false principles and false ideas. There are many times you'll come to something that looks like a fire, and you will throw on it what looks like water, but it turns out it's gasoline. And so instead of making the situation better, you made it worse, and you were very well-intentioned. You were just lacking the wisdom, the sharpening, that could have made all the difference. The wisdom that you pick up over the years can make such a difference in your success in your life, in your ministry. You need a deeper work of God's Spirit in your life. I need it. So let's talk about the place of sharpening. The place of sharpening. Fascinating passage in Isaiah 49 probably refers mostly to Jesus. But I think it, it also shows us some of the ways of God with his servants. So I don't know if you've got your Bible, but uh, why don't you be turning there. That This is a tremendous passage to meditate on. He says, Listen to me, O islands, Isaiah 49. Listen to me, O islands, and pay attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother he named me. And he has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he has concealed me. And he has also made me a select arrow. He has (laughs) hidden me in his quiver. Isn't it something to think that long before you were thinking about him, he was thinking about you? That there is actually, if you are a believer today in Jesus Christ, there is a call on your life, a call from God that didn't start when it occurred to you to ask Christ into your life, that started long ago, even even in your mother's womb, that God already knew what your name was going to be and knew what his purposes for you were. He says, you have called me from the womb. And then it says, he, he talks about the sharpening process. You see, it's not enough just to be called. He says, he's made my mouth like a sharp sword. He wants to affect the way you communicate and says, he's also made me a select arrow. But in both of those cases, it says, he made me a sharp sword, and I was ready to go out to battle, and it says, he concealed me. And he said, he made me a select arrow, and he hid me in his quiver. There are times where you feel like God's been working in your life, and you've received some preparation, and you have something to offer, and God doesn't use you. Maybe because you're hidden away in a dull, boring job that's very demanding and takes a lot of time, and you're traveling a lot, or maybe you're you're hidden away in a home situation with cranky kids and, and a, a tight budget and a small house and difficult in-laws. You know, he's hidden you away where you're pretty much <coughs> sapped with what's going on, and you feel like, well, I don't really feel like God's using me. In fact, look at verse 4. He says... But I said, as far as how I feel about that, I'm the, you know, the one been, whose mouth was like a sharp sword and who was a select error. He says, but I said, I have toiled in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. From where I'm standing, this is a waste. And I don't see what God is doing with this. And, and uh, I just feel like I'm kind of withering away here. But he still has faith. He says, yet surely the justice due to me is with the Lord and my reward with my God. And then verse 6, as far as God's vision for him, God's not discouraged. In fact, on the contrary, he says, It's too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So here on the one hand, his servant is feeling like, Well, this is just a dead end street and I, I feel like I've had some preparation. I feel like I have something to offer, but I feel like a zero really as far as, what I'm accomplishing for, for God and, and with my life. And then you go back up to heaven and listen to God, and God's saying, well, now I've been thinking about this. I've been thinking about your life and everything. He says, it's really too small to use you just on a national level. Uh, national level, I mean, I'm just, I'm just here in my home. I'm just here in my crummy job, you know. He says, it's too small of a thing now to, to just use you on a national level. I say, we're going to go global. He says, I want to make you a light to the nations. But I think one of the keys to that was God's sharpening process. And when we talk about the place of sharpening, we need to realize that a lot of his sharpening happens in the hidden place, in the secret life, in the part of life that most people will never even know about you. I felt this way for for many years. That's why this passage touched me so much. Uh, I'm not going to get into all the gory details of my growing up years, but uh, my father was sort of in despair over me. He says, I don't, I don't know what's going to become of Henry. I don't even know if he's going to live. I hated going to school so much, and I couldn't get any girls to go out with me. A few that I had the courage to ask, and then all of them turned me down. I, I had mediocre grades, came from a family that, as far as at our school, didn't have much money. So, of course, even if I had had any taste in clothes, I wouldn't have known how to pick them out. Uh, when they picked up sports teams, they'd kind of argue who had to have me because I was so uncoordinated. you know, I went out for football and since I couldn't run catch or throw, they would put me on the line to block, and I was really complete toothpick, you know so that's and I was just really tempted just to just cut deals with the people I'll let you go by if you don't hurt me, you know. And then in my first uh, years in the ministry, I was, I was involved with the Navigators for three years at Georgia Tech. They never even let me lead a Bible study. I mean, no one, no one looked at me and said, now there's somebody with potential. It's like, well, we're happy Henry's here. But, but I realized there were a lot of times where God gave me an opportunity just to be around, and uh, once I became a Christian, to, to serve and to meet with God. No one seemed to think I was, had a whole lot of potential or anything. But how God hit me really, for like 30 years. And I'm not saying I'm any big deal now, you know, but uh, he says, you've made my mouth like a sharp sword and you have concealed me. And you made me like a select arrow. And I'm thinking, I'm gonna go in the bow now. He says, I'm hiding you in the quiver. For how long? I don't know. He hid Moses for 40 years. He hid David for 15 years after he was anointed to be the king. Don't you know that got his expectations up? And he's running like a fugitive and drooling like a madman? Talk about unfulfilled expectations. He sharpened me and then he hid me for a future time to bring me out. Jesus was raised in obscurity in a carpenter shop, 30 years. God waited and worked on Jacob for all of those years to then transform him into Israel when he was about 40 years old. Third, the point, the process of sharpening. We've looked at the purpose of sharpening to make us more useful to God, the place of sharpening, how it's in that secret life, in that private walk with God, in your own devotions, in your battles, that that's where God is trying to work on you talk about the process of sharpening many of you guys at least uh, at some point had a knife you probably cut yourself with a knife i remember getting my dad's pocket knife when i was about 5 it was one of these big swiss army knife i opened it up you know and of course nobody was around i thought i felt it, it says oh that's not sharp and then i put it on my hand and went like this i thought see and all of a sudden it opened up and blood ah, oh, <laughs> why sharp <laughs> But how do you make something sharp? You don't make something sharp by gluing more metal on it. I say, well, I've got some metal powder. I've got some Elmer's glue. I'm going to glue that on that and then see if that will cut better. You sharpen something by abrasion, by friction, by grinding away parts of it that keep it from being sharp. You put an edge on it by taking off stuff. And that's the way God sharpens you. It's not so, I mean, people say, I'm going to seminary to get a sharpened, to get trained. Well, I've been there. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that that's what it does. Seminary's adding on stuff, you know. The best thing that seminary does is it gives you the answers to tons of questions that no one's ever going to ask you. Now, I would say it sharpens you in terms of teaching you to study and to be disciplined. I mean, there are things that it it does. But a lot of the sharpening that God does in a person's life isn't through what we call formal education. It's in these situations where we feel like God is is really... uh, using situations to grind away at my life and my character and that you put something under pressure and you see what's really inside you step on a tube of toothpaste and what's inside squirts out and when your life is really really under pressure the real you comes out. It's not you made me mad it's you put me under enough pressure where my ability to hide who I really am is broken down and out it comes. That's the you that God really wants to work on to make you more like Christ. So I was thinking, what, you know, what does God use to sharpen us with? What is it that he, what are the kind of things that he uses? I'd say one is our own pursuit of knowing him. Our own pursuit of knowing him. Maybe that doesn't sound like grinding and stuff. But frankly, it's, I think it's kind of hard to be consistent in meeting with God each day in, in your prayer life. In getting in the scripture I mean some people for some people it's it's like candy you know but for most people it's it's something that a lot of times you don't necessarily feel like doing you'd like to sleep a little longer or if it's at night you you're tired you want to go on to bed but think about David how writing Psalm 23 probably back when he was a shepherd how with even those long hours of working outside and working with, I mean who knows where did he find stuff to write on, you know. I don't know if you've ever been camping, but it's, you know, it's not real easy with papers and probably rained and, you know, who knows how many psalms we would lost because they were in his knapsack when he got caught out in the rain. But David was ready, not only physically, he was ready spiritually to meet Goliath. In fact, that's the strength he was going in. He said, the, the God that delivered me from the paw, the lion, the bear, he will, he will give me victory in this situation. How are you doing in pursuing God? Not just being religious, not just having your devotions, but pursuing Him, getting to know Him. That's in your daily times, in special times, times with your family. Uh, what, what a challenge to, per, uh, to persevere there. Second, in our own battle with sin, uh, one of the ways God humbles us is He allows us to struggle with things. This, uh, Genesis 4, 6, and 7, where Cain is so upset with Abel because God accepted Abel's sacrifice, and God comes to Cain. He says, Do you have any good reason to be angry? <laughs> I don't know how many times would God probably ask us that question? And he said, God tells him, He says, Sin is crouching at the door, but you must master it. He didn't say, You need to just leave it all to me, I'll master it for you. He says, No, you're going to have to deal with this. There is an animal of darkness in your life, of your appetites, of your pride, of, of you know, everybody's fingerprint is a little bit different, but you know what it's like for, uh, to have that principle of evil in your heart. And it's, it's your uh, fighting and, and winning with, with the Lord's help over that lion and that bear that's in your secret life that prepares you for greater things for God later on third dealing with difficult people difficult people you have some very special names that would come to mind of of some relatives of some friends possibly of some neighbors possibly of some very aggravating co-workers clients they come in all shapes and sizes but it's very helpful to realize i am uh, presbyterian and we do believe in god being sovereign and somehow God has worked this out this way, this horrible situation that is so uncomfortable and unattractive. And could it be that this is one of the things that God is using to work on me, to sharpen me, if I respond well? You see, it's not enough to have a, have a knife and just rub it in any old way over, a, over a, a whetstone. You can take the edge off of a knife just as much easier than you can put one on. And what that means also in terms of God sharpening, it's not enough for God to bring into our life circumstances that can sharpen us if we're not faced the right way, if we're not responding in faith, in trust, in submission, in love, if we respond in anger, in selfishness, in reaction, and according to the lies that the world tells us, so this is you need to stick up for your own rights, and you need to stick it to them, you need to get them before they get you, all these different things that you, you know, we pick up as we walk through the world. And as we also deal with our sinful heart. It's how you respond to these trials that determines whether or not it's going to make you sharper for God or sharper for the devil. The fourth one I think that God uses the sharpness with is the daily boring grind of life and work. It just gets tedious, doesn't it? I mean, college was fun and varied, and friends, and parties, and you had to work too, and you thought, well, this is what life is about. Then you get out, and you realize, gosh, everything died, you know, I mean, I'm just, you do fall in love and get married, but then it just kind of settles into something that's kind of routine, pretty much just punctuated by disasters, you know, so it's boring or, or terrible, you know, and, but realizing how, it, it was probably pretty boring being a shepherd. I mean, following these sheep around. Every once in a while, a lion or bear would come up, you know. I said, oh, great, you know. And, uh, but how God, to realize that that's part of God's plan in our lives is to use what seems to be useless to do good things in our lives, to build in faithfulness and to help us see in the small battles that we're preparing for larger things. Fifth, serving under unreasonable leaders. Oh, that's a great one for God to use. unfortunately, he he uses it often. It might be with for, for women who realize, well, I, I'm supposed to be submissive to my husband, but he's a bump on a log. I mean, he just he does come on, wake up, you know, he doesn't he doesn't smell the roses. He doesn't know what's going on. So you've got all the information as a, as a wife. And and you try to nicely tell your husband, and you give him the, the enough information that any idiot would realize we need to do something about this, and he just sits there and kind of, uh-huh. You know, we're just, sometimes we're slow. I mean, and yet God said, I want the man to be the main one responsible in, in leading the family and in, in decisions. Doesn't mean he just makes all the decisions because he doesn't know half the things that are going on. You know, he, he needs the, the helpmeet suitable to him because she's the eyes and ears. She's the circuit breaker of the whole house. She's in touch with more than she'd like to be in touch with, realizing what everybody's wearing and what everybody needs and what everybody's opinion is about everybody else. You know, it's just kind of overwhelming. But the, dad is suppo- the husband is supposed to be a good shepherd, and he's not always. And that's a, that's a big trial. The, the, the man or, or anyone that's working may be in a situation at work. It's really, really difficult with leader you have. It can happen in a church situation, working in a ministry, under a ministry leader. A lot of ways that God can bring pressure to bear in our lives. God used Saul in David's life. God could have taken Saul out at any moment. You think, "God, what were you thinking? He says, "I'm sharpening David." He says, I can put up with Saul another 15 years if it will help David not become a Saul. Do you realize how God, how committed God is to your preparation and to sharpening you, to use you at a later date? You have to cooperate. If you're not cooperating, then you're not growing and improving. You're just reacting and probably getting worse. Well, we've looked at the the purpose of sharpening, the place of sharpening, the process of sharpening. In conclusion, I just want to say I think days are coming that are very, very significant in our lives, also in our country. They're probably some of the greatest challenges you will have ever faced that are coming up in the next number of years, not just in your own personal life, but, I mean, like David, David didn't personally have a Goliath. He just w- was walking by and th- there was a situation where he says, well, I'll go. You know, what are, the, what are some of the huge things our country is facing that are an affront to the holiness of God? I mean, God may call somebody here to, just like he called people to, to do, be mothers against drunk driving, mad, you know, to take a stand, do something. He may call some of you to do something in terms of uh, fighting abortion, fighting pornography, what, whatever it might be. What if God is planning on changing South Carolina through your life? Maybe God's thinking, no, no, that's way too small for this guy, you know. He says, I want to make you a light to the nations. And you know what your thought is? Uh, Not me. He pointed in my general direction, but it must have been aimed at the guy right over there or the lady back there. You see, our problem is we don't believe God is big enough to even use us in a great way. We call it humility, but it's not really. It's unbelief. It's wicked unbelief that we shrink God down so little that we think, well, God could never use me very greatly. How big is your God today? And what if God had already planned Years and years ago, when you came out of your, when you were born. And he said, that is one of my special servants. And they won't think so for 45 years, for 50 years. Because I'll be sharpening them, and I don't want them to get a big head. And they'll go through times when they're discouraged. And I think, well, I'm, I'm just a real loser at all of this. He says, but I'm at work, and if they'll respond, they have no idea how I'm going to use their life to make a difference in this world for Jesus Christ. Will you be ready? That depends on how you're doing with your lions and bears today. Most of life is lived in the meanwhile. Do you ever find yourself thinking, well, if we can just get through Christmas, if we can just get through this year, if we can just get to the next pay raise, if we can just get to where the kids are out of elementary school, if we can just get them off to college, if we can just get them married, if we can just keep them from getting divorced, if we can just get some grandkids. And there are people that live all of their days thinking of their tomorrows, and they really lose all of their todays, and you'll never be ready for tomorrow. How you spend today, your todays, is going to determine whether or not you're ready to face your tomorrows. And particularly if you've got little kids, it's very easy to think, oh, I can't. no, focus on right now, as though this were all you were ever going to get. Don't get so wedded to some future situation that you think is going to be better. It's not necessarily going to be any better. You have the same God today who wants to work in your life today. Grab your todays recognize the hand of God in what you're facing today he wants to change you and I want you to believe that he is so great he could use your life to really do great things but you won't be ready for him if you're not responding well to his sharpening in your life today this week and to give you eyes to see what, uh, in these situations that are so uncomfortable, so difficult, so frustrating, so boring, whatever. That, Lord, could this be your sharpening hand in my life? And if this is the hand of God, can I not rejoice in it? Can I not face it with vision and hope that somehow God is going to take this abrasive whetstone that I despise or just dislike and use it for my good? and for his glory someday the stories will be written of what happened of what God did through your life and it could be that one or two generations down they still remember your name and that your story will be one well not that much happened in the first part of my life but then God began to take me out of the quiver and use me he began to take me out of the the place where he would hidden me and put me to work I was amazed everybody else was amazed they thought you're kidding him her used to do something like that and God says now that's the way I like to work you know why because that that really brings God great glory your littleness isn't your biggest limitation it's the biggest thing that you have to offer to God because that it's because you're so little and so weak that if he begins to use you, he'll get so much glory. So he would rather use you than somebody that's tremendously strong and gifted and is always, everybody's already always known, well, that's going to be, that he's the most, she's the most likely to succeed. He wants to take the ones that are the least likely to succeed and use you in surprising ways to be a light to the nations. So why don't we close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the story of David, this amazing young man who was just a normal guy, but he had walked with God, he had fought lions and bears in the secret place of his own profession. And the day came when he also had to be sharpened by running from Saul for 15 years, so much that you did in his life that others would say, oh, that was so unfortunate and, wow, tough, and I wouldn't want that to happen. But a great and loving God, his, David's own shepherd had brought those things into his life to make him one of the greatest men that's ever walked on the face of the earth and that out of his life would flow the life of the Jesus Christ the Messiah and I pray that you would help us today to also believe you for great things not because we're great but because you're great and you're worthy Lord that we should serve you and bring you great glory help us to respond Lord as you have been seeking to sharpen our lives and we've in rebellion turned and messed up the sharpening process because it's not the trial that brings sharpening. It's the response of faith to say, Lord, I accept it. I receive it. Help me to walk through this trial uh, like Jesus Christ so that you would affect me and change me and make me more like him. Thank you, Lord, for this time to look at these truths today. Seal them in our heart by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Joining us on Bringing Truth to Life. If the message has encouraged you, please subscribe and give us a review. This helps more people find our podcast. We hope you'll join us again for the next podcast of Bringing Truth to Life.